and seeing those, fixing them up, getting them up to speed, and then doing several of those in one area, you really see the impact that it has on that community. And man, honestly, we're, we're kind of hooked on that. Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. This is Chad Harris, your host, and the personal tidbit for today is that my first car was an anniversary gold 1955 Chevy with a three on the tree. I bought it for $1,800 off of a DJ that was retiring. All right, welcome everybody. I am very excited today to uh, welcome a good friend, Ryan Ingram, local real estate investor here in my market, Dayton, Ohio. He is an active investor, business owner, a YouTube channel guy. He's got a lot of things going on. And I know from my discussions with him previously, he has a bunch of insights and really a servant's heart wants to help. So I know you're going to be um, excited by this interview and get a lot of uh, beneficial information. So without further ado, welcome, Ryan. Well, I appreciate it. That was a fun introduction. Hey, I try. So yeah. glad to have you. Well, I appreciate it. Glad to be here. So I know I've talked to you a few times and gotten bits of your backstory and how you got started. And um, but for everybody else, you know, how long have you been a real estate investor? What was the impetus that really got you started down down that path? Yeah, absolutely. So it's actually pretty fun. Um, I was in law enforcement down in North Carolina and my wife and I, we had a kid in 2017 and in January of 17. And, you know, through that adjusting process, we just quickly learned that it was really important for us that she'd be a stay at home mom. But she was an assistant principal at the time. And, you know, that was a lot of income that I needed to replace. And at the time in law enforcement, I was making about 40, 44 grand a year. And while I had always considered myself to be pretty frugal, I got a hold of some good books uh, early on that, you know, encouraged me to save like 50% of my income. So I could have supported my family uh, on my law enforcement salary alone. But unfortunately, we would have had to like cut all of our savings and it would just be, it would just devolve into like a paycheck to paycheck thing. So I've always kind of considered myself to be a, a high performing individual. Um, and I was just really perplexed as to why I couldn't provide for my family kind of the lifestyle that we wanted. So at that time, I kind of realized that I had an income problem that I really needed to solve. So I dedicated myself to kind of reading one book per day until I figured out the answer to that. Um, and ultimately, you know, that led me to real estate investing, just kind of for that monthly passive recurring revenue. Um, that model was really appealing to me because it disconnects, you know, the time for money issue that a lot of people have. And, you know, in that, uh, we moved up here to Dayton, Ohio. We bought our first duplex in August of 2017. And now we're up to, uh, 63 units at the moment. And we currently have eight under contract. So it's been tons of fun and a real ride. That's awesome, man. So... Uh, and that's less than three years. I mean, that's not much time at all. Right. So did you have, I mean, plenty of people, it seems like get to that point where they 
say, I wish my life were different and I want to escape the paycheck to paycheck. And I think plenty of people even take that next step and start reading books, but it's very few that actually make the leap and are able to start investing and build that business. Did you have mentors or people, you know, that examples that you were looking at or was there a key to help you kind of take that leap? Oh, well, so don't tell my old sergeants, but (laughs) when I started reading one book per day, uh, really what I did, I stopped doing anything like proactive in law enforcement and I just, uh, I don't see them so much here in the Midwest, but down South, like every town has several, like just lots where they sell sheds or like outdoor storage things. So I would always just pull my car in between some of those sheds, (laughs) turn all my, all my headlights off and just uh, read books. And I was reading uh, one of Tony Robbins books. I can't remember. And this was, you know, several months into that whole process. And it's just like, this is, I just had this like kind of uh, revelation. It's just like, you know, this is the fourth time I have read this. Like everything that this guy is saying in this book, I have already read somewhere else. So I had this realization that I kind of hit this point where I could either keep reading the same thing or actually like take action. So I had to ask myself, like, am I serious about making a change or am I just kind of looking for an excuse as to the fact that I'm not living or not providing in the way that I want to? Um, And that kind of led me to just scrolling around on social media and trying to follow people that were actively like promoting how much income they were making or trying to like recruit people. Um, And I was really just trying to figure out, okay, if I understand this whole time for money thing that I'm trapped in, how do I get out of it? And ultimately I landed on this one guy um, who was making a lot of money selling life insurance and he posted one day, that he was like his company was hiring. So I looked into that and ultimately that's how we ended up in Dayton is because they had several different territories that were open and Dayton, Ohio was one of them. So that was a 100% commission only job. Uh, And again, the only reason that I was in the position to take advantage of that is because we had lived frugally. So we had, I think at that time we had 40 or $50,000 in, uh, in our bank account. So I figured, and I I just kind of had to, face the realization that while this is a leap going from like a comfortable government job to a 100% commission only job, um, while it was a risk, while it was scary at the end of the day, at that time, I mean, it wasn't uh, long after that first Black Lives Matter movement. So nobody was really actively signing up to be a cop. So I had this comfort in knowing if I ever needed to you know, re-enter law enforcement, I would most certainly be able to do so. Like just because I'm leaving doesn't mean that I can't come back. So there was always that safety net. Um, so it was really just kind of a a bunch of small mind tricks I had to play with myself to make myself comfortable to, you know, uproot my family, move a few states over and try to rebuild a life that looked completely different. Yeah. I think that sharp, you know, a couple of key things just in listening, one was that you had your expenses low. I think that's huge. You know, a lot of people start out and they really add expenses quickly and it's like a burden that they can't get out of. So I think that's pretty sharp. And another one was that you had your worst case scenario in mind. You know, if, mm-hmm. if everything failed, you would get a job like you already had. 
right? That was your worst case scenario. So right. that's pretty sharp. Um, well, yeah, I know when I, when I started my business, I was just coming back from Kenya and had risked all kinds of things uh, for the work over there. So it was a little similar in that the risks I was taking here to start a business weren't anything near what I was risking there. So mm -hmm. I think that's pretty sharp. Uh, Thanks. And that makes a lot of sense. And you were in a similar predicament where the world will always need more missionaries. <laughs> well, yeah, there's always need. Yeah, that's for sure. So, mm -hmm. and I mean, I can't gloss over that you were reading a book a day. I mean, that's a pretty uh, astronomical number. CEOs, I think, are supposed to read 60 books a year or something like that that's quoted. So that's pretty sharp. Um, what did what did your friends or family think when you were reading books like crazy, thinking about quitting your job for all commission, um, when you were going through those changes in your perspective? Um, that's a really good question. I think uh, I want to say a lot of things, so I'm trying to think of the most beneficial thing. I think... So at the time, I was also, I think the thing that I often leave out that kind of precedes that is I was in the process of getting a PhD. So uh, at the time, my goal inside of law enforcement was to eventually be a chief. So, you know, it's one of the things where there's a ceiling. Like at one point in law enforcement, there's nothing you can do except wait for getting promoted. Mm -hmm. So I got my master's degree uh, in organizational development. The reason for that is I was just trying to build my resume uh, to be the perfect candidate to be a chief. So then I did that. Um, and then I, you know, started working on the PhD in organizational leadership. And one of the first things that they taught me there, which was really surprising is don't make the mistake of reading uh, every single word on every single page, just once you get the gist of the uh, chapter, then it's okay to skip around a little bit. So one book per day, yes. Uh, every single word on every page, no. <laughs> um, and then as far as the friends and family, I think that's a, that's a really solid point. And if you're trying to like level up in your life, then you have to, you have to be intentional about what you allow into your mind. So in law enforcement, um, of course, you know, uh, that comes with like a very distinct and very strong subculture where everybody in there, we're all making the same money. We all have the same frustrations. Uh, the network there is just really strong. So if you want to break free from that, then you kind of have to stop allowing that to determine uh, your thoughts towards certain things. So while uh, they were incredibly beneficial, if they were attempting to help me figure out how to be a better cop, then, you know, they would most certainly do that, but how to make more money, nobody in that ring that I was in could help me fix that issue. And at the time, just the way that, you know, the work schedule is in that career field, it's not like um, I had the ability to really go out and meet new individuals, which is, you know, one of the reasons that I'm a huge advocate for the fact that we live in the best of all possible times to make large lifestyle changes is in this information age, we're all just one click away from all of the information that we could possibly need in order to change our life drastically. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, it's an opportunity like no other. So um, <clears throat> that's sharp. 
So did you have anybody trying to tell you you couldn't do it or you were making a mistake? Of course. But, yeah. you know, at, at the same time, you if you're going to allow somebody to speak uh, into your life, I think they have to like pass a few tests and you have to look at, um, you know, the, the common two things are you have to check out somebody's bank account and you have to check out their family. If you would exchange one with them, but not the other, uh, then you just need to be really careful. They might be able to, to help you be a phenomenal dad, but they're also skipping out on some really important things. If you wouldn't change uh, bank accounts with them, vice versa, you know, if somebody has a really fat bank account, but a horrible family life, then that's not somebody you really want to listen to either. So running people through filters and allowing like what pieces of information you are going to kind of consume from that person is really important. So while all of these people were telling me it was a bad idea, um, at the same time, I had to, you know, go through those filters. And at the time, it's just like, well, if I were to listen to this person, then best case scenario, I would be the most prominent one is a captain at the police department. And he was grooming me perfectly to be a captain at the police department. But mm -hmm. I could also see, you know, the salary attached to that. And that's not what I was after. So that's when all the books became very impactful because even though I don't have Tony Robbins in my personal network, I could most certainly consume all of his content. Same with like Robert Kiyosaki or all of the big people that I would trade both bank accounts and families with, I presume. I presume. Let me <laughs> let me let me put some asterisks there. I haven't done any research on either of their families. What you've seen, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you <know. laughs> yeah, completely. Not mm -hmm. sure. So, tell us about some of the the early deals. You know, you said you you bought your first duplex a few years back. What were some of the early deals like? How are you mm -hmm. finding them or financing them, and what were the numbers like? So the first a few deals that I did were right off the MLS, the first duplex. Uh, at the time, you're familiar with the market in 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I could kind of pick any, you could just take your pick for whatever property you wanted. Prices were still really low back then. So at the time on the MLS, I think on LoopNet, there were like 10 or 12 different duplexes all listed for $35,000. So I just honestly picked the one that looked the prettiest and um, you know, one of the first things that I did when I moved up here was get involved in some of these networking groups that are around here. And mm -hmm. I tried to connect with a few people. So I tried to get the consistent consensus on what areas were relatively safe since it was my first investment. Um, and this one, but still also affordable. And this one kind of met that criteria. And we bought that one in cash. I was still coming off the Dave Ramsey kick. So I mentioned earlier that we had like Forty to fifty thousand dollars in our bank account, um, so we bought this one for thirty-five grand in cash. And then, you know, shortly after that, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to do any more deals for a while because I just spent all my money. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, which everybody hits that point sooner or later, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a fact of life. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And then the second deal that we did, so that $35,000 duplex, uh, at the time it was rented for about $900 per month. And then we had a management company and this was the first bad experience that I had with a management company where they really just nickel and dimed me. Mm. So I bought it in August and then at the, at the end of the year, we had only cleared right around $1,100 
of profit. And this was a property that we had no mortgage on. So over the four months that we, that we owned the property, we only got like a month and a quarter of rent that hit our bottom line. Um, so that was a real red flag to me. And I realized, you know, I had this grandiose idea of I was going to buy properties in cash, put all of the rents back into buying more properties. And after actually seeing that net, I realized this is going to be one slow road if I keep up uh, this plan. So the second property that we purchased was a single family home that was turnkey, but it was listed at 28 grand. Uh, it was recently rehabbed, new kitchen, new bath, uh, all of the floors recently painted. And I think there was a, a new roof on there as well, but I'm not quite sure. And I approached Wright Pat Credit Union because, you know, bigger pockets, which I was absorbing um, yeah. excessively at the time because, you know, when I moved up here to sell life insurance, uh, we hadn't yet sold our house in North Carolina. So we have some family here. I was living in their basement for a little bit of time and I was commuting back and forth. So I had like, you know, 18 hours of windshield uh, time per week. So I was listening to just tons of podcasts and whatnot. And one of the things that they mentioned are to um, go to your local credit unions for, you know, financing on these lower priced mm -hmm. properties. So that's what I did. They were willing to give me a very small loan of like 21 grand. So the down payment was seven grand and the mortgage on that property was $112 per month. And I changed property management companies. I interviewed uh, several different companies and the one that I picked ended up, she rented that property out for $770. So that is Man. dramatically different. Uh, <laughs> you know, clearing more than $500 a month on a property that I was only out of pocket seven grand for, which was, you know, so crazy different than that duplex. Yeah. So to do, you know, real simple cash on cash return, that's over a hundred percent, right? In that first year, if you're, or not quite a hundred percent, if you, you're bringing in 600 over the year, 500 over 12 months. In your, it's close. Yeah, it's close, man. That's awesome. Well, thanks. A home run deal. <laughs> that one was, and it and it taught me the power of leverage uh, at the same time. So where did you go from there? You know, was the growth kind of slow and methodical, or did you just explode? What was the process like? Um, well, so far this year, uh, so far in 2020, we have purchased uh, 22 properties so far. So. I think in 17, we just had that duplex. Um, and then we bought that second property for 28 grand in April of 18. And then I think we ended the year. We ended 18 with, I think, 12 properties. Okay. And then we went into 19 and got, uh, I think up to about 38 units at the end of 19. So that's kind of how we've grown. And then on our, I think on the fourth property that I had, so at the time I was working at another insurance agency, I hadn't started my own yet. And I realized early on when we bought that duplex that I was in life insurance, um, but that was, that was pretty short lived. I decided that wasn't for me pretty quickly. It made good money, but um, I was not a fan of the fact that like with that particular company, I made, there were a few months where I made 10 grand, a few months where I made 20 grand, but ultimately I never like lost this pit 
in my stomach every night because I had no idea uh, when or where my next money was going to come from since it was 100% commission only and the pay structure there was you got paid once um, and that was it. You would never get money off that oh. same thing again. So nothing that I was doing ever built up. Yeah. Um, so then I learned about the property and casualty side of insurance, which is all based on recurring revenue. So coupled with the fact that I was getting into real estate investing at a lot of these network meetings, I realized that there weren't many insurance agents out there that truly understood how to insure a rental property. Um, so I started researching uh, that pretty well. And then um, I really focused on exclusively providing uh, property and casualty insurance specifically to real estate investors. And in doing that, I met several people that um, have been investing for a long time. They have like five or 10 or fewer units and they're slowly just trying to get out of it. So my third and fourth deal actually came from the insurance agency from clients calling in saying uh, with questions on their insurance policy, like my tenant just moved out. Now do I need to switch this to a vacant policy or is it fine uh, on this policy? And one of them, sure. you know, they just complained about the property uh, endlessly because they were just at a point in their lives where they didn't want to go in and do the turn themselves. And, you know, they had done the work themselves and they just weren't interested in doing that. So I offered to buy it from them and that's where deal three and four came from. Okay. That's awesome. That's a good, uh, I mean, complimentary businesses with those uh, retire. Were they retiring landlords? Or, or Yes. Yeah. Okay. And w with them, were you paying cash still or bank loans or getting financing from them? How are you doing those? One of those was a bank loan and then another was seller financing. Okay. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had I uh, I've had a lot of my deals be seller financing with um, with you know landlords who are retiring. They don't want the capital gains bills, and they like the monthly income still. It seems very complimentary with them. So, Absolutely, sure. I think it's a solid way to go. So, I mean, what would you say are some keys? I'm big on scaling. I love you know trying to figure out how to grow more quickly. Um, how to build the systems to facilitate that. Um, what would you say were some of your keys to your growth? Because when you talk about your numbers, how many you had 2017 and then 2018, 2019, I mean, that's like exponential growth. Um, what were some of your, your keys to that, do you think? Um, I'm a huge fan of the concept of, you know, seeking wisdom. You mentioned mentors earlier. And one of the first things that I did was try to figure out where all the other people that own real estate were hanging out and just kind of get myself involved in those circles. And in doing that, you could see people that are doing it really well. And then you also come across people who aren't doing it uh, at the level that you desire to do it for what they're wanting to accomplish. I'm sure they're doing fine. And in that, and just in analyzing what everybody else is doing and familiarizing yourself with their systems and processes, then you're able to figure out like, what is everyone's bottleneck? Where is a lot of their time being spent and consequently wasted? So one of the first things that I noticed are uh, the threshold to get across 10 largely depended on whether or not someone uh, had 
a property management company or if they are attempting to do everything themselves. And what I found is here in our local market, if somebody is self-managing, a lot of people really burn out uh, when they get close to that 10 mark or a little bit over. And then they start having ideas and thoughts of like, um, I don't even want to buy another property right now because I'm struggling to handle the tenants that are here because, you know, one or two of them may not have been good placements and they're being very problematic. And then, you know, the people that had 30 or more units, uh, none of them, like a very small percentage, I can only think of uh, two at the moment that have more than 30 that manage their properties by themselves. But those are just like mm. rock star people who have been at this for a while and really trying to be very diligent in forming those systems and processes. So one of the first things that was apparent to me was that I needed to use a property management company, even if I don't have that many doors, because it just seemed to be a common bottleneck in the industry. And then mm. on paper, coming from like a very strong, solid blue collar uh, job, I am a very capable man, able to mow lawns. But my time, <laughs> as it relates to real estate investing, is best spent finding deals, not mowing lawns. So one of the hardest things for me to do was outsource, um, you know, kind of those tasks about going in and like fixing sinks or mowing lawns or anything like that. So when that problem arose, even though it would cost a little bit, all of the numbers make sense. The money's there. It's the tenant's money, not your money. Mm -hmm. um, and the last thing you want is to accidentally take some of your time and attention away because of those mundane tasks that someone could, someone else could easily and fairly cheaply fix. That's sharp. I think that's, well, that's smart too, knowing, I can see where it's really helped you knowing where you want to be in the end. You want to have mm -hmm. a good property manager or managers you know, managing a portfolio is sharp starting from day one, uh, really with that in mind and, and doing that from your first property on. Um, because a lot of the headaches, any of those RIA meetings or meetups or whatever, the headaches usually are in the management, right? Those, those right. are the stories people are telling. So mm -hmm. I think that's, that's sharp. Um, have you, do you end up with one property manager for your portfolio or multiple ones? How does that work? We currently have one property manager. Um, when I was interviewing property management companies for that second property that we purchased, uh, we were really impressed with the level of care, responsiveness, and just the overall quality of the property manager that we ultimately chose, which is Roost Real Estate. And um, sure. we're still with them. And we, we haven't had uh, any issues with them or reasons to look elsewhere yet. And as we've been growing exponentially, they've, they've kept up very well. So we just now implemented a weekly call. So every Friday, we have a meeting where we discuss all of the open items. And I think that was one of the pieces that we need to throw in there because at first when you have, you know, eight, 10, it's really easy to keep up with all the moving parts. But mm -hmm. once you get larger, it's, <laughs> it's, it's easy. It's easy for things to start falling through the cracks. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. The yeah. complexity grows quickly. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Well, sure. So um, with your with your growth, I know you know one hurdle is the management, one hurdle mm-hmm. is the funding, another hurdle is the kind of the finding deals. And mm-hmm. especially in your your time frame, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, it's like as the market's been getting hotter and hotter and more of a seller's market, you've been adding more units. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what's your technique for finding deals or how do you like to source your deals? That's a really good question. I think, <laughs> no, not yeah. at all. None of it's a secret. Um, Wholesalers come in really handy. Uh, people that are actively going out and attempting to find, you know, motivated sellers, distressed properties, and things like that. Sure. And those are a powerful resource. Uh, we also, our property manager isn't a fan of this, but each time we are interested in a property, we contact the listing agent. Um, you know, after the first few properties, when we're comfortable with the entire process and we don't think that someone could easily pull the wool over our eyes or hide something from us, uh, we don't necessarily need to have that high trust factor to carry out the transaction. So we contact the listing agent, befriend them, let them know like what we're about. And that's just a very small way that we have been able to just build our network where rather than going through one realtor the entire time, now we have, um, you know, uh, a bunch of different realtors that are aware of who we are and what we're doing. And just from a respect uh, perspective as well, I mean, especially here in our market, a lot of these, even though the market is hot right now, that still comes with asterisks, right? It's still it's still $50,000 for a single family home, which is still unheard of uh, throughout the rest of the nation or the majority of the nation. So, you know, especially, the commission. Yeah, especially compared to our rents. You know, our rents are, are very <laughs> right. high for those prices. Yeah. Absolutely. So then, you know, the commission from a realtor's perspective, um, especially if you're looking at tons of different properties and trying to grow quickly, then at a certain point, you're going to wear one realtor out uh, because you're taking up so much of their time for a perfectly executed deal might yield them. What's what's 3% of 50 grand? uh what 1500 not much yeah yeah so so it's not very respectful of like one particular realtor's time and then um other than that just kind of running my mouth about what it is that i'm doing and just telling everybody that i'm a real estate investor this is what i like to do and then you know we've had contractors neighbors um and a bunch of leads come from people that we just weren't expecting at all. And that's awesome. Um, you know, my background, I bought most of mine using private money because I was used to raising money for ministry. So that was kind of uh, my skill set when I started investing in real estate. And so when I try to help people learn that process of raising private money, that's the first thing I tell them is just tell everybody what mm-hmm. you do. And I think that's so key. You know, and a lot of times you hear, oh, it's who you know um, that helps you get ahead. But I I always think of it in the reverse. It's who knows you. The more people I can get my story out or know my name or my business, what I'm doing um, and know how I can help them, the better it is. So Absolutely. And you're a rock star at the private money when you were sharing your numbers with me. I mean, I dream of private money at interest rates as low as you're getting. 
Ah, well, thanks. Yeah, yep. <laughs> you'll get it. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, especially with the volatility in the stock market right now. Um, That's true. So there, there's a we've lot had a lot of our looking. we've had a lot of our private investors reach out to us trying to figure out if we're looking for more money at the moment. That's a good situation, right? Yep. Yep. Sure. Is. <laughs> sure. So, what kinds of deals do you like now? You know, at this point. Um, in your business, um, are there certain numbers you look for, or do you like, you know, seller financing, all cash, bank loans? What do you? What's your ideal situation? Um, we we greatly favor the two percent rule. Um, that's what we we do our best to make sure that all of our deals excel. And that we've purchased a few lately that are at like the one point five, one point eight range, but uh, we kind of offset that with favorable financing. You know, we've gotten bank loans on those at like four, four and a half percent over, they're amortized over 30 years. Um, but similarly, sure. a lot of our stuff, uh, we deal with a lot of private money and we use that to pay in cash. So a lot of our deals lately have come off the MLS where we just, you know, say we'll buy cash in two weeks and we'll take uh, a decent chunk off the asking price. Okay. See where it goes. Okay. And do you like single family or multifamily or what's your preference there? Single family only because there's a, uh, there's a lot more ways that you can get into a single family home at a very discounted rate compared to multifamilies. In multifamilies, you're dealing with strictly investors and all of the, like both the buyers and sellers are all investors. We all read the same books, know the same things, use the same formulas. Yeah. But in the single families, I mean, we uh, oftentimes buy homes from probate, people that inherited homes that just, they don't care about the house at all. It's a burden to them. Um, unfortunately, you know, a few divorces, a few like pre-foreclosures. I mean, there's, 30,000 different reasons as to why somebody wants to sell a house quickly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, all those reasons are ways you can serve them and actually help them in their difficult time. Everybody's happy. So absolutely. Yeah. That's sharp. So what do you, uh, what are some tips that you would give somebody who's trying to start out now, you know, talking to a lot of new investors, you know, you hear that, Oh, the market's so hot deals, come on MLS and they go off right away and, you know, multiple offers first day. What, what would you tell new investors looking to get started? Analyze a lot of deals, figure out some framework that you're comfortable with and then don't deviate from that framework. Uh, be really diligent in figuring out where potential bottlenecks are. Um, and then do your best to circumvent them early on rather than waiting until they become a bottleneck. So one of the things that really bothers me, and this transcends real estate investment, just all across all small businesses, it really bothers me when people try to do their own bookkeeping or their own taxes. Like, mm -hmm. don't do that. You're going to get in trouble and <laughs> the IRS <laughs> is going to come for you and <laughs> you don't want to take time away from your business to 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 manage that audit yourself. So I would definitely say bring in the appropriate players early on 
Um, I wish you would have told me personally that years ago because I did my <laughs> own accounting and that is not my strong suit right. at all. I'm a big picture person. So, right. so yeah. and, and most small business or entrepreneurs are. So that's why it eats me up. So it's just like if you have the personality type to be a uh, successful entrepreneur, then 98% of the time you suck at bookkeeping and the more, the more tedious th- things. So let's just not play yeah. with it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think for me, that was a key hurdle um, because mm-hmm. when I got started, I liked this like independent, you know, concept where I'm going to go out there, I'm going to make it on my own and wanted to do everything myself. And it was a struggle, like at each step, to hand over those different parts of the business. If I would have done that quicker, um, the the business would have grown faster. I think that's a a huge key is just involving more people. Let them do their specific skill and do it really well, and go focus on other things. So, right, but sure, I completely agree with that. And. One of the first things that I did as well, uh, this started from the small business side, but has been incredibly impactful um, on the real estate side as well, is I joined like a mastermind group, just a bunch of like-minded small guys. And I do pay for that, but it's just been invaluable. I would contribute about 80% of my success so far to that group simply because uh, we meet for an hour a week on Zoom, very similar to this. Mm-hmm. And in that, uh, I mean, there are guys in there that are uber successful. Um, and they just, you know, you ask problems that you're currently having and then they give you their advice. So one of my mentors that I actually have from that group, uh, I'm still processing this, but along the lines of what we're talking about, he had recently expressed his kind of distaste for like the solopreneur or the Mm -hmm. one man shop. And he said, that's fine if lifestyle is what you're after. Like if you want to make enough money with a very small amount of responsibilities, then sure, you can most certainly go that route. But if you're looking for impact, then you have to bring on a significant amount of people. Like the more people that you bring into your team, uh, you're going to be able to make more impact for that. Now, I don't, I haven't fully digested that, but I just thought it was worth mentioning is you know, it's easy to be a one man shop, but you're not going to be very effective or the most impactful that you could be if that's the route you choose. Right. Yeah. And if, if you have a clear vision for where you want to be in the future, what your end goal is, um, doing it all yourself is and very rarely is that the quickest path to your end goal. Right. right? You know, if you can involve other people, um, it'll, it'll make that process much quicker. So, mm-hmm. and it, it's a blessing to all those other people that you bring in. So, um, I, I like the fact of how many people I currently have involved and the work that I struggled with and really had a distaste for in many cases is really a blessing to them and their family and they're good at it. They're better at it than me. So absolutely. Yeah, that's sharp. And I mean, I also think you just hit the nail on the head. Uh, having a strong why or what your what is your end goal that you're looking to even get into real estate for. I think that's a really important thing to spend a lot of hours thinking about because you could easily get swept away with just the number of voices that are in the real estate investing community. And especially like with podcasts, you can get really swept away and pulled in a ton of different directions if you try to digest all of that. 
Yeah. Each one sounds really good or sounds like, yeah, right. what you should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. I always uh, go back to, you know, nobody says they want a hundred doors so that they can deal with a hundred toilets and tenants. Right. But if you buy a hundred doors as a solopreneur, that's pretty much what your day is going to be. Um, right. So you, you have to know what you're working towards and, and going to. So mm-hmm. um, for you personally, what is your why or what what gives you that big push and desire to to keep building and growing? Um, I mean, that's a great question. I think it started in the fact that we uh, we currently we're pregnant and we're about to have a uh, another baby in November or December. Let's just not let my wife watch this and we'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in that time frame. But that'll be our fourth kid and they'll all be under four years old. So we did the math on how much, if they all go to college, how much that would cost. So we really want to get ahead of that. And then uh, my brother is a business partner of mine and he has three kids. So we're going to have seven kids in college about the same time. So how in the world are we going to be able to pay for all of that? Right. So that was our first obstacle that we kind of created for ourselves was we need to have enough cash flow for, you know, five kids to be in college at the same time. And then as we've, things escalated very quickly. And, um, you know, from a cash flow perspective, we're not far from reaching that goal. And we're like, th- we're going to be like 13 years early. And then along the way, as we're buying a lot of these properties, like we got a few properties from the lot links programs, a few foreclosures that were just in horrible shape mm-hmm. and seeing those, fixing them up, getting them up to speed and then doing several of those in one area, you really see the impact that it has on that community. And man, honestly, we're, we're kind of hooked on that. We want to do all that we can uh, for the sake of like community building at this point. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, previous guests on the podcast, um, Kurt and Elizabeth Phillips talked about something similar. And um, I think that's huge, just the impact you can have in a community. If you buy multiple, especially, but even just one house, you know, if you have a block with one problem house and you constantly have, you know, problems coming in and out of there, um, that's huge to that, that neighborhood when it's fixed up and you have a, uh, a great resident in there. So that's awesome. Absolutely. On some of these properties that we've had, that we've purchased, they were really distressed. Uh, my contractors have told me that just all day long, they have the neighbors coming up, thanking them for doing that. And a few times they've even been, been brought like, you know, food and drinks. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah, oh yeah. It's definitely something that Dayton needs a lot of. Yeah. There are uh, plenty of those areas that, that need that refurbishing for sure. Mm-hmm. So, and it, it's moving in the right direction too. So absolutely. Um, so what rewards um, have you seen from real estate? You know, you've been in it pretty heavily for three years now. Um, have you seen, I mean, I can look from the outside and see rewards, but for you personally, what rewards do you see? Um, I would say that from like an easily quantifiable perspective, uh, we've crossed that million dollar threshold uh, within three years. I think 
we started with somewhere around 120 grand. That was my wife and I and all of our savings. And we actually cashed all of our retirement uh, accounts out in order to help us in our real estate investing. So we've gone all in on real estate investing and we've utilized every free dollar we have to build this. Um, But I mean, that feels good. I remember just 17, 18, I always thought it would be really cool to hit that millionaire kind of by 30 mark. So that was really fun. Um, And then just from a lifestyle perspective, I mean, it just, you know, being your own boss, that independence thing that you're talking about. uh, One of the things I didn't have in law enforcement is, you know, my son was just born, but I knew I wouldn't be able to go to all of the events or do all of the things just because of that rigid or rigorous work schedule. Are regimented and um, you know now I definitely have check boxes that I need to hit all day long and things that I need to do but uh, if my wife calls me for whatever reason I could just hop and skip on home and that feels really good just all of the freedom associated with it and finally achieving that disconnect between uh, time for money yeah that's huge and hard to uh, appreciate it until you have it Right. So, yeah. So for anybody who's wanting to get started and they're not sure it's worth all the effort up front, it is worth it. Would you say? <laughs> Absolutely. 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 I, think, I think at this point I have nightmares about uh, having a job again and being told exactly how I need, how long I need to be at one place or exactly <laughs> what I need to do in one day. My work's done, but the clock doesn't say the number it's supposed to say, so I can't go home yet. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, and I mean, one thing I really admire about you and have, have seen you doing recently is helping other investors get started and kind of sharing the, the wisdom and the insights that you've gained um, as you mm-hmm. build your business. Um, and part of that's your YouTube channel. You want to tell people a little bit about that and how they, they find you on there? Absolutely. So uh, one of my business coaches, you know, he, he made this little pyramid not too long ago. And it was kind of off like the uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs type deal. But, you know, the base of the pyramid, uh, you would put me in it. And, you know, at the end of the day, all of your personal needs have to be met. And if they're not met, then you're not going to be the most effective person uh, for your community, for your family or anything like that. Like you have to take care of yourself first. And, you know, Jim Rohn would often talk about the, uh, the mask that drops from the airplane, right? You have to put it on yourself first. And then right above that, uh, the middle section of that pyramid would be we, like your immediate family and all of the people that rely on you. Like you're not going to be able to do much for your community unless all of your family is taken care of. And then, you know, after that, it's, you know, doing good for others. And at the pinnacle of it is like your self-actualization and becoming the best version of yourself. And, you know, um, when I was in law enforcement a few years ago, I did not really understand like how many worked, how to build businesses, uh, you know, why the rich keep getting richer or any of that stuff. But honestly, like once you play the game appropriately, it's really not that difficult. It just takes like a a trigger moment in someone's life. Mine was, you know, our son and me and us, it being very important for my family that my wife be a stay-at-home mom. 
and I wrestled with how to do that until I could figure out how to get it done. But if it weren't for that moment, then I wouldn't have done any of these things. So, uh, mm. since I've learned so much, I just want to, you know, share it with as many people as I possibly can, because once you, you know, once you get the ball rolling in this direction, it's really not that hard. So long as you have the appropriate community around you. Sure. Yeah. I think that's great. I mean, I'm, I've looked at your channel and videos and I mean, well, it's thanks. awesome. I love the information on there. Um, and you can see your, your spirit helping, wanting to help people and uh, just being transparent uh, comes through right away. So well, I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely recommend anybody to check out uh, your channel on YouTube. It's just Ryan Ingram. Is that right? That's on me. YouTube? Yeah, that's yep. you. Okay. <laughs> and outside of YouTube, how else can people find out about you? Um, my insurance agency's website is insuredbyingram.com. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, we exclusively provide insurance for other real estate investors, but uh, really, uh, I'm best at Ohio. So I, so I sometimes have people reach out to me for other states and it's just like, man, I'd love to point you in the right direction. But as far as what I've set this agency up to do, it's just to be really rock solid here in Ohio. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think between that website and the YouTube channel, you should be able to get a hold of me pretty quickly. All right, cool. Sounds good. Well, I really appreciate you being on. Um, yeah, thanks for I having me on here. Check in with you again down the road and get an update. Have on, have you on again and see what you're up to. Absolutely, uh, I appreciate it. All right, thanks again, Ryan. Talk to you Thank soon. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.